the thanks be to God gets really quiet after a passage like that. <laughs> no one shits, no one says thanks be to God after a passage like that. Welcome to Advent. Um, I'd like to be the first to wish you a happy new year. <gasps> what? Advent in the church calendar is the beginning of the year. So for those of you who have not made any res- resolutions, you're welcome. You're welcome. We have different ideas that come to mind when we think about Advent. We might think about candles. We might, we might think about the color purple sometimes. We might think about calendars that have nice little bits of chocolates inside. Okay. We might have had a different experience growing up with Advent, different traditions that we would engage along the way. And historically, Advent has been treated similarly. It's changed a number of different times throughout the years. In the 4th and 5th century, Advent was the season where Christian converts would prepare themselves for their baptism in January at the Feast of Epiphany. And then that changed in the 6th century, in this, and Roman Christians really experienced Advent as this, as this anticipation of Christ's second coming, which is largely the scripture we're reading today, and the direction we'll be heading today. And it wasn't until the high Middle Ages that Advent was seen as we kind of treat it today, uh, seen as this time where we celebrate and prepare ourselves to anticipate the arrival of his, of his first coming, of his first visit. Um, Advent in, in Latin uh, is Adventus, and it means to come. And so we, we can keep this in the back of our minds today as we think about to come. But, it, but if we want to talk about Advent, we've got to talk about a few other things as we anticipate, what does it look like to engage the season as it's intended? So we're gonna, this morning we're going to talk about paradox, because it's like 9 a.m. on a weekend. We're going to talk about paradox. We're going to talk about permanence. And we're going to talk about intimacy. We're going to talk about paradox, permanence, and intimacy. Um... Let me open us in this scripture. Let, us, let me return us to this passage as we talk about paradox. And this is Christ speaking. He says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And what he means is, you don't know when that second coming is coming. And then this gets really fun. And he starts talking about As it was in the days of Noah, and he's talking about Noah and the ark, in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. Now, this isn't like what we're we're tapping into is not, oh, there's a flood coming and 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 there's fear embedded in this. Sometimes we can internalize it as this fear-driven expectation of something that's around the corner. All the church fathers and mothers delighted in Advent, which is interesting, and and delighted in the anticipation of of Christ's second coming, because today we kind of treat it with some hesitancy. 
We treat it with a bit of suspicion along the way. And what we're talking about when we're talking about Noah and the flood is that there is no day or hour that we're aware of that God will come and flood our lives with his love. We don't know the day or the hour when God will flood our lives with his love. And it's, and it's his first coming that kind of introduced us to that paradox. And a paradox is just, it's, it's an absurdity, or a seeming absurdity, something that doesn't make a ton of sense to us intellectually. It's a seeming absurdity that's grounded in truth. And all the major tenets of the faith are paradox. And so we're hinting at something. Whether we're talking about the Godhead and we're talking about three in one, we don't really understand that. This, we can't really comprehend it. When we're talking about creation out of nothing, we can't really comprehend what that means, that ex nihilo. We can't comprehend what it means to be fully God and fully man as Christ came into the world. We don't exactly understand that. We don't understand virgin birth. And so this whole season is kind of, it's caked in this great mystery that we get to wade into and, and get to play in. And this mystery is intended to reveal parts of God that we are thirsty for, not in fear of, that we are thirsty for, that we are hungry for, that we're dependent on. And it's this season, Advent, that asks us to receive God, not how I want him to come. <laughs> I do have an idea <laughs> of how he comes, in, he comes into my life on a daily basis and one day that next coming. I have an idea of what that will look like. But Advent asks us to receive God however God decides to come, not how I decide him to come. And Israel was struck with this in Christ's first coming. You know, as an infant to an unwed, young, teenage girl. And they were looking for this Messiah King. They didn't come as he'd expected. And that's what, that's what the first coming is suggesting about how we participate with him now and what we can anticipate of him later in this second coming is what does it look, we might not know what to anticipate, what it might look like until the flood already happens. Until the flood of his love already happens and we're kind of swept up into something else. Until we're swept up into something else. It's the, it's the reason why Teresa of Avila talks about the, our concepts of God, like what comes to our mind when we think about him. She says what co- our concept of God are jars, that we break. Because we can't contain God in our concept of him, of our idea of him. He's beyond that idea. We don't worship the jar, the idea. We worship the God of that idea, of that concept. It's why, it's why Meister Eckhart, that 14th century German mystic, I think he's a friend, would say, God, big G God, this is his prayer, big G God, Save me from little G God. 
And what he's saying is, big G God that I can't comprehend, save me from the little G God that is misguided and misunderstood about you. So when we read that about, we, we do not know about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven know this, there might be even a degree of comfort. Oh, phew. All right, phew. What would that anxiety really look like in life? And then he goes on, and he says, this is how it'll be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. What are we talking about? <laughs> are we talking about two literal women in a field? Are we talking about... Like, eight, one, two, three, four, five, all the ones on this side, okay, all the twos on this side get left. Is that what we're talking about here? Is that what he's talking about here? And what he's inviting us to see is that the way in which we can anticipate the second coming begins now. When we talk about what it looks like to participate in the now, in the in-between is how some, some have put it between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And the way we participate now is in preparation for that day. And we prepare by trying a lot, by practicing, by practicing. If I, was, if I, was, if I had an advanced certified sommelier test on the calendar, and I do not, if I did, preparation for that test would look like Tasting a lot of different wines. Would look, how do I develop a palate for that coming day? I taste it now as much as I can. I taste it now as much as I can. And when we're talking about two men in the field, one is taken, one is not, two women in a handmill, one is taken, one is not, what we're, what we're seeing is Christ say, we do that now. We get taken away now, and we get left now. And taken to what? Left to what is kind of important. Like, it does depend where we're taken. I saw a movie taken. I don't want to be taken in that way. <laughs> but taken where? Taken into his loving embrace. Taken into his pleasure and delight. Taken into his affection for who we are. James has a routine every night where he gets naked and runs around the house for like 20 minutes. And I get to chase him around the house. And I get to sweep, I get to take him. I get to sweep him up and take him away. It might look like this in some cases. Like to just settle into his arms. Be taken up by him. And what Jesus is communicating is that will come in its perfect sense at a time you don't even need to know about. But you get to practice it now. And so those two men are me. Those two women are me. And I'm, and I'm participating. I'm practicing getting taken away. Up into his affection or left. And left where? Left with the relationship always available. But never indulged in and enjoyed. But always available. And, that, and we live in that left space quite a lot. 
I do. I can get caught in the left space and think sometimes, oh, this is what it feels, this is what it is to get taken away, when in fact, no, I'm, I'm actually in a different territory. The relationship's always available, but I'm not indulging it. I'm not delighting it. I'm not enjoying it. And what we're talking about by being taken away is we're being taken up into his perfect love. And we can think about that as the kingdom of God, and there's been a lot of ink spilt about the kingdom of God. And we all might have like an idea of what the kingdom of God looks like or it could be like. But it's, it's a fuller professor named Dr. Elron Ladd. And if your name's Elron, you're like, I got to listen to this guy, as I say, you know. You name a kid Elron, he's going to be like a chemist or a theologian. He doesn't have like a ton of choices. But you are aware of, okay, I'll give this guy a few minutes. And, it's, and he is the one who talks about the, you know, the living in a perpetual state of, of rejoicing in his first arrival and anticipation of his second coming and that in-between territory. He's the one who came up with the phrase that maybe we've heard before of the kingdom is already, but not yet. Have we heard any of that? Have we heard this? It's already, but not yet. Thanks, Dr. Ladd. And, and, and that's true, and that's helpful, and that's right, until it's kind of, until we interpret it in the wrong space. And what I mean by that is we hear a statement by, by Ladd about the kingdom is already and not yet, and we concentrate, we focus on, we overly focus on the not yet aspect of what he's saying. And we kind of point around the world and we say, he's not yet over there. He's not yet, right? He's not over there. He's not in that one relationship for sure that I've got with that person. He's already, maybe, but it's not yet. And we focus our attention on the not yet part. We have a tendency to do this and it puts us in a, a risk of thinking of it as permanent. Okay, it's not yet. I got to endure this until it is, is fully something. And, I, and we, can ex, we can internalize this and begin to operate in that territory. It's already, whatever that means, and it's not yet, which means, ah, I'll just wait for it. I hope it comes. And it can set us into a state of this permanence. This is, this is the way it goes. But I might even prefer the way that Dr. Howard F. Baker puts this. He's a professor at Denver Seminary, emeritus now. And when talking about the kingdom of God, he says the kingdom of God is here, and it gets better. And that feels different. That feels different. It's already, but not yet. Feels like a f- scarcity, permanence. It's here, and it gets better and better and better and better until it's best. And so when we're talking about being taken away or being left, we're talking about how that looks today as well. What it looks like to get taken away into what's better and better and better and better. 
that's already in front of us, that we already are witness to, that we already see as a reality in and around us. And he continues. He says, therefore, keep watch. What's therefore, therefore? Well, because we get to be taken or left, and that includes today, keep watch now. Because you do not know on what day our Lord will come, but understand this. If the owner of a house had known at what time or night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at the hour when you do not expect him. And we can read this and think, all right, I got to treat God like a thief. <gasps> right? Which is not exciting. Right? That's, he, he's a threat? He's going to come and get my stuff? He's going to steal things from me? Is that what Jesus is saying here? I got to be on watch because there's a threat coming? And in John 10.10, 10, what he says is the thief, this is Jesus' words, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. And he says, but I'm not that stuff. Thief comes to do that. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So what is he talking about when he's talking about the thief? He's talking about the surprise that the thief injects into our life. He's talking about there's these surprises along the way where we are taken up or left with the relationship always available but never indulged in and enjoyed. We could be taken away by him. And it's, it's what, we, what we're preparing for now is going to demonstrate the degree of comfort we have with his second coming. I just heard that for the first time just now. So let me think about that. The degree of, the degree of comfort that we enjoy with him now will translate to the degree of comfort we enjoy with him at his second coming. A.W. Tozer talks about, A.W. Tozer is this poor priest, pastor out in Pennsylvania. I don't think he was properly, I don't think he was educated. I don't think so. Uh, certainly didn't go to college. Didn't go to seminary. I don't think he finished high school. But he's known as a spectacular theologian, which is usually the pedigree of someone you want to listen to. Like he has a whole lot of experience and hasn't been confused upstairs by a bunch of nonsense sometimes. Howard Baker says that theology is the study of being a little less wrong about God. A.W. Tozer is thinking, okay, I'll leave that. I'm going to have experiences and allow those experiences to curate my understanding of who God is. And he says, the most important thing about you, me and you, the most important thing about you is what we think about when we think about God. Like, what comes to our mind? Stay with me. Relevance is like five minutes away. Is <laughs> what comes to our mind when we think about him. And if we think about 
God being a thief in this sense, a threat, a danger. We'll relate with him this way. The way Meister Eckhart puts it is, the eye in which I see God is the eye in which God sees me. And what he means by that is, the eye in which I see God is the eye I assume that he sees me. I just assume that's true of him. And if the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God, then the way we're interacting with him now is preparing us for how we might interact with him then. If God is mad at me, my Christ-like becoming looks a certain way. If God's upset with me, if he's frustrated by me, if he's disappointed in who I am, my Christ-like becoming, my journey, is going to be grounded in earning his approval. Our image of God matters. What comes in our mind about it matters. If we think he's angry at me, and we'll talk about awe sometime. That's a fun conversation. But if we think that he's angry with me, it puts me in a position to not trust him. It's impossible to settle into the arms of someone that is preoccupied with your shortcomings, with your failures. That's impossible. And God's perspective of us is one of delight and pleasure and affection. Charlie makes bumper stickers. I don't know. He's made one bumper sticker, I think, in his life. And he, he, made, a, he made a bumper sticker for his car, and it says, he's especially fond of you. I mean, that's good. He's especially fond. Is that the image of God that comes to my mind when I think about him or something else? And why does it matter what we think about when we think about God? Because it tells us more about ourselves than it does about him. It tells us more about ourselves. And it's important to know ourselves. It's why Augustine prayed, Grant, Lord, that I might know myself, so that I can know you. You have to know yourself first. And then I can know you. The way John Calvin put it in Institutes, Christian religion is, there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self. And no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. And they reciprocate. Ignatius of Loyola calls that double knowledge. This is getting informed as this is getting informed as this continues to change. It's why we take these glass jars and allow them to break. Because it's changing. It's not permanent. Like the, the state is not permanent. It's constantly growing. It's constantly changing. It's constantly becoming. And if we think about the busyness, 
that we, that we sometimes associate with his second coming. Sometimes I have this image in mind of uh, like Jesus' coming. And we can be like, all right, I don't want to do anything bad. <laughs> right? And we start thinking about like managing like highbrow or low grade behaviors <laughs> and things. And we're like, I, don't, I sure want to be on that side of stuff when he comes and not that side of stuff when he comes. And that's not what this is talking about. That's what this is talking about is that we participate in that now. We participate in the getting taken up into his affection now. Or we participate in being left with the relationship always available but never indulged in and delighted on. Always available but never enjoyed. Never enjoyed. First John says, as, as Jesus is speaking, he says, I'm not distant and angry with you. But I am a complete expression of love. But I am a complete expression of love. Soren Kierkegaard, who wrote a whole lot of philosophy on fear, says that, it, it says that fear is, it's impossible. Fear always results. This is how he puts it. Fear always results in an inhibition to love. Fear always results in a barrier to love. And if I'm afraid, if, if my God, if my image of God, my God image, if I'm afraid of him, I'm not experiencing love. I might be left while there's opportunity to be taken up. There's an invitation to be taken up. The way that St. John of the Cross puts it is, he says, God refuses to be known except by love. And it's in that love that feels like the embrace, the sweeping in, the flooding of his goodness in your life. And then you get caught up in his love and taken away, taken up, taken up into his loving embrace. David Benner, who's a He's a psychologist in Canada. He puts it this way. He says, God's bias toward us is strong, persistent, and positive. The Christian God chooses to be known as love, and that love pervades every aspect of his relationship with us. Which means if my image of God includes him being upset with me, that is not God. If my image of God involves him being preoccupied with my failures and shortcomings, that's not God. And here's the, here's the difference, I think, in being taken up and left. Can I use you as an example? <sighs> We're going to edit this and post. <laughs> um, well, I th- think of it as connection and intimacy. Connection, you can think of, connection is your experience of another. But that ain't intimacy. Intimacy is your experience of another who's experiencing you. You feel that difference? 
Connection is, I'm experiencing this other person, this other thing. I'm experiencing God. I, I have a whole bunch of description about him. Which is really all we're doing right now. This is all just connection. We're describing ourselves, we're describing him, we're describing this relationship. This is just based in connection, how we're experiencing another. That's, that's the part that feels left. We're left with the relationship always open, always inviting, come and indulge, come and enjoy. Intimacy, intimacy is, what I ex- is my experience of another who's experiencing me. And what we think about when we think about God is what I'm bringing into intimacy with him. Is what I'm, is what I, I, I imagine our relationship is firing on, the fodder for our time together. And now, we all have, we all have uh, misguided, incomplete's a really polite word, probably. Incomplete understandings of God. And Advent is the season that we get to go, Lord, might you take me up beyond my understanding of you and back into your welcoming embrace where I can experience your comfort where I can experience your acceptance. That's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. I am the, he says, God is the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. Eckhart. I've been reading a lot of Eckhart, which is usually an indication I'm not doing okay, but I'm actually doing okay, I think. Um, he's like, he, he makes these really blunt statements, which I can enjoy. You know, he's kind of the boss of blunt statements. He'd be like a real handful on Twitter. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, I need this explained. Um, and, he's, and he says this statement, and he, says, and, it's, and he says it's a lie, and he talk about God that doesn't comfort you. Is that true? It's a lie, and he talk about God that does not comfort you. And Advent then asks us, to yield <laughs> what we might believe of him, our little G-God, so that we can get taken up into his loving affection that strengthens us for that second coming, for the tolerance of that second coming, for our engagement with that next coming, that next return what am I practicing now in preparation for that intimacy then what am I hoping I find along the way that's the surprise along the way we practice today what we are anticipating for in the future and Advent is the season of the church calendar entirely different from Christmas tide by the way, <laughs> okay, that's different. Advent is this season on the calendar where we recognize that we're in between these two things 
his first coming, his second coming. It's a little ambiguous, absurd in some ways. And we're faced with asking, how are we engaging with the God of that absurdity in a way that I might not comprehend, that I might not need to comprehend either? May I pray for us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are here as we are here, as we're here together. I pray that you, in your great goodness and kindness, might unveil yourself to us as you take us away and into your love and affection this Advent season, that we might yield everything we think is right, best, and good for an increase of your love, trust, and freedom. We love you and we trust you, and it's in your holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen.